Hey, I'm Lori. Welcome back. Saints and scholars, we're jumping in one more time to the book of Psalms. Now, as we continue on this amazing set of poems and songs, you might be wondering, what else is there to be learned? Maybe you're wondering, how did people use these anciently and how can I use them today? And that's where we're going to find out. Let's jump on in. One of the greatest things that I find in the book of Psalms is that it includes all of us. This is an interesting point in our worship when we start to take everything that we know up here and everything we feel right here and combine them. Now, I know that's going to sound weird, and especially if you know me at all, because I tend to play mostly from up here. I like to think about scholarly and nerdy things all day. But scripture and spiritual things and the things of Christ really hit us here as well. And this is where we find an interesting crossover. The Psalms, as a point of worship, involve all of us. They require all of us to enter a new kind of space. So as we jump in, I want to invite you to include not only your mind, but your heart as we jump into these stories. And those are going to be some of the things we're going to jump in today as we learn about the Psalms. The first thing is how to read them. The second, I'm going to do a quick review of some historical things as we enter into the end, and then we're going to jump right in. Okay. So one thing to remember as we jump into something like the Psalms is that they do require something more of us. You can't come at them just intellectually, you'll miss all their power. If you come at them just emotionally, you might misunderstand what they were even talking about. So we'll try to show a little bit of both of those. First, I know some people have talked about some of this structure. Let's do a quick review. Historically, context as well, it's actually pronounced Psalm. So the P and the L are silent. In English, mostly American English, we say Psalm. You can say it any way you want. Occasionally, you'll hear it psalm, P and L, silent, but that's because it comes from the Greek, and that's how it's pronounced. So just FYI, if you ever hear it, the psalms. Additionally, if you think about it, these were the psalms, the songs, and the poems that Jesus knew. And we know that not only is because they were reading it during what we call the Second Temple period when Jesus was alive, but he's also the inspiration of most of them. From the cross, he speaks Psalm 22. So if you've never gone back, and read Psalm 22, take a look. It's a lament. My God, why hast thou forsaken me? Those famous lines spoken from the cross are actually a quote from Psalm 22. So we know that these were the things that they spoke and sang. In fact, there were so many choirs and groups that were part of temple worship, uh, Levitical choirs specifically, that in Second Chronicles, they talk about them being divisions. So can you imagine these great big groups of men and women, not only playing instruments, but singing? And we think they were singing a lot of these. Something else that you might not be aware of is that the Psalms seem to fall into five books. And I know we think, oh, it's just a bunch of, it's a list. It's kind of like our hymn book, you just flip around. But just like our hymn book, you'll notice they're arranged very carefully. Have you ever noticed how our hymn book has certain songs at certain pages? I always love when I can see at Sacred Meeting when some of the 300s pop in there because those remind me of the primary songs. Teach Me to Walk in the Light, Families Are Forever, those kinds of songs. And then you hit the sacrament songs somewhere in the 160s, 170s. And so those that are preparation for the Lord's Sacrament of the Last Supper are in those. And then the Christmas songs always come in at the same, those 200s. So they were grouped up, songs of the a restoration, start right at the beginning. So we've even grouped our hymn book that have kind of themes and types of songs in certain places. And that's how the book of Psalms is also arranged. It actually has five books. So there are two in the beginning, chapters one and two of Psalms, 
and then these five kind of sections, we call them books. And today we're actually in book four and book five as we hit Psalm 102, 103, and then jump into what's called the Hallel and the Song of Ascents. Because there's so many, there are 150 after all, that we're going to just jump around at them a little bit. But they are grouped into different books, just like our hymn book. So take a look and see if you don't see how they go together. One other suggestion before we jump right into them, because we're going to spend most of the time in them, I hope, today, is that how do you use them? How do you use them? A few years ago, I was challenged to pray through the Psalms. I'm saying pray through the Psalms. What does that mean? We really don't use probably scripture like some other church people have in the past, where they really use the scripture as their prayer. And so by using a psalm in the morning and one in the evening, so kind of your morning and evening prayers, we were encouraged to do basically a summer of reading through them. And so I would do that. So I would get up and sometimes I would do them together because I would not do very well in the morning. So I would have to do them both in the evening. But I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the time to sit and use them as a time of meditation and prayer and offer them up almost as if they were my own. So if you have not had a chance to use a psalm as a prayer, give it a try. Additionally, psalms tend to fall into a certain structure a lot of times, and so you can write your own. So one of my favorite things to do with a small group class is to actually write one. Go ahead and you can Google it and look up the structure, but but there's an introduction and then some different, kind of give your complaint and some different ideas that you do and praise at a certain point. And so you can say, I can do that. So that's fun if you haven't had a chance to do that. So you can try praying through them. You can try writing your own. And by the way, you don't have to use the these and the thous and the big words that we see in the Bible sometime. You can write it in your own words. Another thing is how it is structured. Hebrew poetry is nothing like how we do American or English poetry, which is probably what we're most familiar with as mostly English speakers here. But we tend to have poems that rhyme at the end, especially like, green eggs and ham or something like, I am Sam, I am. I like green eggs and ham or I will not eat them. I will not eat them in the rain. I will not eat them with the in the train, not with a goat, not on a boat. So <laughs> I am terrible at remembering poems, but we always know how they rhyme at the end. And so we're going like, that's a poem, right? In Hebrew poetry, it doesn't rhyme with the sound. It rhymes with the idea. So you'll notice that it uses really short sentences. So think of maybe one of your favorites, like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Really small little sentences, very small. And then they a lot of times have parallel ideas. So let's look at, we're going to read 110 here, and because it's in our reading today, and just see if you don't see a few of these parallel ideas. Oh, let's do 102, actually. So it starts out with an introduction, hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. So those are actually our first two lines. Hear my prayer, O Lord, let my cry come into thee. So you see prayer and cry are parallel ideas. So you'll see that a lot. They're, it's called parallelism. A lot of times they come in couplets and sometimes three. The next two, the next verse has four of those. So see if you can't see them. Hide not thy face from me in the day when I am troubled. Incline thy ear unto me in the day when I call, answer me speedily. So it's spoken to the Lord, and it's a cry and a request, a petition. Hide not thy face from me when I am in trouble. Incline thy ear to me. So hide not your face, incline your ear. So we're both in this facial idea. Hide not your face from me when I am in trouble. 
incline thy ear to me when I call to thee speedily. So you can see the first part of it and the second part of it are parallel. Get it? So face and ear and when the day when I'm in trouble and the day when I call. So you can see how they build. So sometimes you'll see these Hebrew poems, not just in Psalms, but they're everywhere, by the way. So from Isaiah to Nephi, Nephi Psalm and 2 Nephi 4, to Helaman speaks in poetry, to Doctrine and Covenants 1, to it's just everywhere. So sometimes you'll see these kind of repeating short little phrases. And again, they don't rhyme, but the ideas, it might even be the subject of it. And the ends, beginning and the end, sometimes parallel each other. So watch for them because you'll see them more and more. So again, here's a uh, the next verse of Psalm 102, verse 3. For my days are consumed like smoke, and my bones are burned as a hearth. So it's consumed like smoke, this idea of just overpowering fire. And then the second, they're burned in the hearth. So you see both ideas, so smoke and fire, burning, smoking. So again, the parallel ideas. I think. So once you start to see them, they're actually really fun to see because you get the idea that we're really trying to express something. Sometimes, too, they'll do a compare and contrast. So it won't necessarily be the same two kinds of ideas, but it might be two different ideas contrasting each other. You can watch for those, too. Let's see if I can find one of those really quickly. Of course, I can only find parallels just glancing. Watch for them. You can see them a lot when it's parallel. You can see parallel and you can see the contrast. The other one sometimes is you'll see three, and I think sometimes those as little steps so they build, so they'll have not just two lines that parallel, but three. So these are just things that they, how they use poetry and how we don't use poetry. And so you might miss it. Additionally, sometimes what I see is people will interpret some of these lines as if they're both happening or as if something's happening. Famously in Isaiah 2, it's the Lord will be in his mountains and his law will come from Jerusalem. One will come from Jerusalem and one will come from here. And they're like two different places. And I'm like, it's just a it's a poem, you guys. So you'll just see those ideas. So watch for those. And remember, the idea isn't so much to get, I think, intellectually in them, but to really start to feel these things. So knowing the content and how it's written really help, I think, understand what they're trying to say. Just watch for those. Again, I think one of the best ways is trying to write one. So if you just want to try to write something, give a shot. The other thing that we're going to see in here, and the manual really hits on this idea, is that they tend to have a lot of praise. In fact, they tend to have two parts in the Psalms. The first is that they're going to have some kind of lament, and then it's going to be paired with praise. So if anything, the book seems to always have two halves, lament, praise, lament, praise. What is lament? We tend to know what praise is, but what's lament? Now, this isn't something that we think about. And I think as North Americans, and mostly in Westerners, we tend to be like, no, I don't have any problems, and I have to quelch those and only talk very rarely about those. But that doesn't seem to be what happens with people, and there's certainly not what's happening here in the Psalms. A lament is a complaint, something that you feel a lot of anguish, despair, worry, anxiety about. And we definitely have those feelings. And instead of quelching those and quashing them, we use a lot of cue words there, but instead of trying to bury those kinds of feelings, we see here that appropriately the Lord is okay with us bringing that anguish and that lament to him. So we see a lot of these psalms are laments, and he wants us to bring those to him. The, the entire human experience from praise and happiness 
to suffering trial is there too. So you'll see a lot of them. You'll see a lot of laments like this one that we're reading in 102. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. Hide not my thy face from me in the day when I am troubled. Incline thy ear unto me in the day when I call. Answer me speedily, for my days are consumed like smoke and my bones are burned as a hearth. My heart is smitten and withered like grass, so that I forget to eat my bread. By reason of the voice of my groaning, my bones cleave to my skin. I am like a pelican in the wilderness. I am like an owl in the desert. I watch and am as a sparrow alone upon the housetop. You can feel, even if we don't know what a pelican in the wilderness and the owl in the desert seems to refer to, we get the idea, I'm all alone. I'm out of my element. I'm crying to the Lord. And when have we not felt like that? So you're going to find these laments, and they are powerful. And I think they really bring us into the problems that happen in our lives. I think that the idea of a lament being here is key. The Lord wants to know us in everything we're experiencing. I think it also brings an interesting second idea, is that as we get closer to the Lord in our covenant path, as we understand what it is to live a Christian life and to be members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we start to realize that we're not going to have everything easy. In fact, we might even feel more clearly our own sins and our own problems, but we also might become more aware of the problems of the world and those people around us and the suffering going on. So part of this experience of our covenant walk is going to be full of anguish and trials, or we're not going to always be without those. And the key is here is including the Lord in those so that he can buoy us up and help us. So you're going to see lament, but it doesn't end there. They're not all laments. Then they end up with praise. And so often, even in the same psalm, you're going to see lament and then praise. So in this, in 102, I keep calling it 110, but in 102, if we go down, you'll see that it changes gears. And so you're going to see a part of praise, praising the Lord here. So the, the author starts with this lament, and then it's going to change gears. So about verse 12, listen to see if you can't see, hear the difference in the tone. Again, we've just read supplement, and let's see if we can see some praise. Verse 12 in Psalm 102. But thou, O Lord, shall endure forever, and thy remembrance unto all generations. Thou shalt arise and have mercy upon Zion, for the time to favor her, yea, the set time is come. For the servants take pleasure in her stones and favor the dust thereof. So the heathen shall fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of earth thy glory. When the earth shall build up Zion, he shall appear in his glory. He will regard the prayer of the destitute and not despise their prayer. This shall be written for generation to come and the people which shall be created shall praise the Lord. For he hath looked down from the height of his sanctuary from heaven did the Lord Behold the earth. Oh, it's powerful. This idea that someday the Lord will come and he will come from, from heaven, from the temple. And from there, he will listen to those prayers and those cries that we've lifted up to him. So you see this praise and this hopefulness and excitement. So again, the books will have a lot of times you'll see those two themes, lament and praise. Again, some of them will have both right in the same psalm, and sometimes they'll be back-to-back, so watch for those as you read through them. 
powerful, pretty cool. One other clue that I wanted to give you is sometimes the wording is clunky in King James. So if you want to try another translation in English or Spanish or whatever language, sometimes you'll see that it becomes more modernized English and it might sound a little bit more like you speak. And so some of the strange wording can go away. I found sometimes that's helpful too. So I like English Standard Version or the New Revised Standard Version. They tend to have some of the poetry left in. They're not overly literal, but they still keep some of that. They're not just like a paraphrase. So they keep a little more literalness. So they, but they just get rid of some of the big weird words. So if you want to try that, sometimes helpful too, especially in poems. Poems are hard enough sometimes as it is to understand. So there you go. All right. So far, we've gone through a couple of ideas. First, I want to reiterate that we use our whole bodies when we are praising and when we're singing in something like a psalm, because we're going to use our minds to understand what's going on, but we're going to use our hearts and our souls as we approach the Lord with our emotion and with our spirits. So it is a full body experience when we do the psalms correctly. And just to build on that one more idea, that really feels like worship to me. And again, I'm, I look at these nerdy books. I like to get into the mental side of it, and I don't like to be very emotional. That's not something I'm very good at. But they are some of the things I love the most, Is those are those spiritual moments when they're combined, when I'm learning something new, and it really strikes me, and it clears my mind, then opens my heart. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. So it's when it's both combined. And so it feels like to me, like the Psalms are like entering the temple. It's a time when everything is combining and I'm in kind of that full realm. My whole self is worshiping in the Psalms, my heart and my mind. It's like Doctrine and Covenants 8, right? A two and three where it talks about the spirit will be in my mind and my heart. And I love that. I think that's what the Psalms do. So Learn about them here. Practice the parallelism, the compare, contrast, maybe the little stair step three ideas, the short little verses. Watch for them and know those. And then see if we can't take those messages of perhaps lament and praise together and see if we don't feel them. All right. All right. Let's, let's take that first idea, context idea, background, and then let's move on to a couple more. Okay. All right. Again, like I said, we were in, there were five books or kind of groupings in the book of Psalms. And today for section, a section, Psalm 102, 103, we're actually in the fourth book. And the fourth book is kind of building on some of the scary ideas that have been happening to people over their lives. And it's building big events at the end. Like we read in, in Psalm 102, it's going to have some of these laments and praises, these things where it's, oh no, things that have happened to us. They could be sin. They could be trials in their life. Or remember, most things are experienced in community. So it could be talking about your whole group. For Israelites, it could be things like the scattering of Israel and the exile. If you're, say, um, in his psalm, Nephi talks about the plagues of sin of himself and the failings that he has personally. So they could be corporate, a group, or they could be individual. And so read through those. Let's do 103. It's not too long and see if we don't see some of these same ideas in Psalm 103. So it is only 20 verses or so, 22. And I want you to watch for those, for a couple of things as I read through it. Listen to see if you can hear the short little verses. Then I want you to also watch for parallels. So it will be ideas, soul, heart, my vision, my path, or something like that. And my, my favorite, like my path and my feet. Or sometimes it's your body, my hand, my arm. So watch for those parallel concepts and see if you don't watch for those. But then let that fall away. See if you don't hear the emotion. So we're going to start here and then I'm going to move here. 
See if you don't feel the emotion that's going on in this. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeem thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth my mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. For as for man, his days are grass. As a flower in the field, so he flourisheth, for the wind passeth over and is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness and his children's children to such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared his thrones in heaven, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do this commandment, hearkening unto the word of the Lord. Blessed ye the Lord, all ye hosts, ye ministers of this, that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works and all his places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Can you feel that exaltation and the praise in 103? It just goes from understanding how much the Lord loves us, even though things sometimes are tough or our lives aren't very long or our sins are there. He is so merciful that he goes on forever. He's so much greater than any of those things. I love some of the imagery that is used here. I loved for man, his days are grass as a flower in the field, so he flourisheth, but he's then gone. But then contrasting with the Lord's idea, that the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting for them who fear him. So when we love the Lord, he is with us always. So you see this great, powerful song of praise and prayer. So again, we saw the lament in 102 that kind of turns to praise at the end, turns to a hopefulness at the end. And this is just all praise. So you got to love 103. So these might be songs you haven't read a lot. Go ahead and try them again. I love that idea. All right. Let's look at the next two blocks, which are amazing. And you've made it this far in understanding the Psalms. So let's turn to the next two. The next group are actually in book five of what we call the Psalms. So you're ending into the end. Remember, there are 150 of them and they're grouped together in kind of themes and ideas. At one point, we're going to get this one thing called the Hallel. The Hallel is the first group that we're going to hit. And then the second grouping of Psalms is called the Song of Ascents. And so the Hallel, let's go there now and read a little about the Hallel. Let me turn over to my notes. Hallel are the uh, Psalms, I didn't even give you that, Psalm 103 through 119. So they're not a lot of Psalms. And if you were to read them all together, they only are like 
15 minutes or something. And remember, for the most part, these are meant to be said out loud and probably in a group. These these Hallel, and I'll explain what that means in a second, the Hallel Psalms, the sort of grouping of Psalms, are very similar in idea, and they're used together in a number of sacred events, even still today. And so the Hallel is still sung at many of the Hebrew or Jewish big holidays. So if you're going to have a holiday, the Feast of Tabernacles, etc., then you still would sing the Hallel. Hallel is a Hebrew word that means to praise. And so you might be familiar with this when you say hallelujah. That's the first part. Hallelujah is a, is a third person command form of praise the Lord. So hallel, you know, that is praise or to praise. And then ja, hallelujah. And ja is Jehovah is a shortened form of that name. So we just, to keep that name sacred, we often use the term the Lord instead of using Jehovah as the name. But if you keep it there, ja, ja or aya uh, in Hebrew, you'll see that it is the same name. So praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Pretty cool. So the Hallel are these group of praise. Uh, that's how you can remember that. Praising the Lord and they're grouped together. Now, I suggest that you try doing these all together, maybe by yourself or with your family. If you really want to understand how these work, just take 15 minutes, read through them together beforehand, and then read them together and try something. Often they're read too, especially this last one in this, they're like a reader response. So the cantor, the singer person at the front will sing out the first verse and then the congregation responds with the next verse. So it's first. So there gets to be this cool interaction. Now they have tunes that you can sing to them, but you could just read them out like that too. And if you've been to some other worship services, you see some of those. And this is where we actually get the Hosanna shout is in this Hallel. Pretty cool. So again, these are grouping psalms that have this praise and are used at certain holidays, holy days, and you can read them yourself. And a lot of times they're done in a group. And so cool. So 113, let's go through each one of them really quickly and just get a couple themes. So as you read them, these are embedded in your mind. They're, uh, again, the command is, you all praise the Lord. So it isn't, I, I love how we use it now, praise the Lord, <laughs> but it's a command to do it. It's cool. It, that's a cool idea. So that we should be praising him. So the 113 is our first psalm in the Hallel, and it praises God's power as creator. So it's a way to look at the creator for really getting involved in our lives. And so the anxiety and the worries that we have when we remember that the creator is overall give way to that kind of praise and exulting this, this excitement about him in our lives. So that's 113. 114, however, looks back historically to the Exodus. So it looks back to the time of Moses and the children of Israel when they were escaping redemption, not uh, escaping Egypt and being redeemed. Not only that, but it's going to remind us of that time when the Lord was with them and created a nation, really the nation of Israel that we're all part of now. So it, um, it uses this great imagery of the Lord being involved during these kinds of miracles. And not only just in the separating of the sea, the great part of the, the exodus that were the famous ending part there of the miracles, but that it actually changed the contour of the world itself. So the idea that the creator, the Lord, was there at this miracle, but through him, the whole world is actually changed. Beautiful idea. And how can he change us in those miracles? Changes the whole contours of the earth itself. 115, the third psalm, you see the shift. So if the first one was God's power as the creator and then remembering 
the the Exodus, all the words center on kind of the debt that we owe to the divine for saving us. So we owe, because of the salvation that we're given, we owe the Lord praise and blessing and acts of sacrifice. So because of the things that we have gained through the salvation of Jesus Christ, we owe the Lord these kinds of things. I love those, the blessing. In fact, in Hebrew, you'll see all scripture pretty much says, blessed is the Lord, instead of saying, blessed am I. It's That's why the, we'll get to that in the New Testament, but the attitudes, blessed is he. But you normally you'll see, especially in the Old Testament, if you haven't noticed, it's blessing the Lord. You're saying he is great. So we bless the Lord, goes the other direction. So in this case, we're offering the blessings and the praise to him in 115. 116 is going to pick up on this last idea that was given in 115 that we owe acts of sacrifice. Now, anciently, those might have been the actual sacrifices at the temple. But now today, we still have the law of sacrifice in which we're offering up something good for something better. We have to give up something that we may want, something that we find valuable, but we're going to be blessed with something greater. So the Lord has owed these sacrifices in a way. And so 116 talks about why we do acts of sacrifice. Why do we do those things? And some of it is just appreciation and the humility we feel when we come before him. That's 116. 117 through 118, these last really one of two psalms, they are, the attitude shifts again. So it weaves together. It's going to take all these ideas and it's going to weave them together. So the gratitude, looking into the past like Moses, recalling past blessings, as well as asking for salvation. And this is the great Hosanna psalm. Hosanna, save now, save us. That's what that phrase means in Hebrew. Hosanna. So it's, hey, bless us, bless us. We're crying out. So this is the part that you would call out 117 and 118, where you would call out one verse and then you would respond. So let's read part of 117 and 118 together and see if we don't see that in a great hallel. Let me clip over there really quickly. Sorry, I was stuck on 110 there. Okay, let's do 117 only has two verses, so it's a perfect one to practice. So I would say the first verse, and then you would say the second verse. So get your psalms out and then say it with me. Okay, I'll say it because you're not going to be there, but say it with me. Okay, so I'm going to be the song leader. I'm going to do verse one, and you're going to do verse two. One, two. And I'm in Psalm 117. Oh, praise the Lord. All ye nations, praise him, all ye people. For his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise he the Lord. Cool. See how we went? Yeah, it's cool. Okay, so probably haven't done that before. If you've gone to any other worship services for any other Christian denominations, there's a lot of more of this response that they used to do in the Hebrew temple. It's so cool. So that's, that's a, this is a time when the idea that we talked about in the beginning where our hearts and our minds are combined, I think really happen. I feel like these are like us entering into the temple spiritually, a place where heaven and earth meet. It transcends time. It takes us to a different place. When we change the cadence of our speech, when we change our emotions, we enter into spiritual event. It just changes the way we think when this happens. And we know that when we sing a song, and especially when we sing a song in a group. So I love that we still sing songs together in sacred meeting. 
it's one of my favorite parts and I'm not even a good singer, but I love it because I love that feeling and it changes just immediately what you're thinking about and who you are and it just brings you back to a place. Think about a song or a hymn or a time that just seems to take you there and it just changes your emotional ideas. I often think of a time when I had moved to Northern California and I didn't know anyone. I was sitting in the back of a sacrament meeting and we were singing hymns. And the sacrament meeting started and we're singing the opening hymn and then the sacrament hymn. And I knew I belonged in that moment. I didn't know a person there. And I'm sitting in the same look building that looks the same. But there were a bunch of people that I didn't know. And I knew that they knew me and I knew them and I belonged there just by singing those songs with them. And I was the loneliness I had felt at moving and being there for weeks on my own evaporated. And so thanks, one of the great third word. But I, I just love that, how it brings you into something. And I think that can happen not just with loneliness, like when I moved when I was younger, but when we went to approach the Lord. That's why I think of a kind of a temple experience when we come to him. We can feel that change and he, that spiritual change in our lives. So we changes the way we think. It changes the frame of mind, changes our feeling. It unites us with the people around there. We experience different feelings, expressions together, gratitude, humility, celebration, heartfelt thanks. Save us. Save us. How's that? Ah, so cool. So that's the Hallel. Give 113 through 118, just those few short psalms. Give them a read. Try reading them out loud and see if you don't feel those that story, that change of bringing us together and inviting the Lord into our lives. Pretty cool. All right. We have one set more. That's called the Song of Ascents. The Song of Ascents are a group of psalms from 120 to 134, so 15 or so. And what's an ascent? Now, they literally say this in the beginning of them, so that's why we know they're called that. There are a lot of theories over what these Song of Ascents are. And to be honest, we don't really know. I hear a couple of the theories of what these Song of Ascents, what that means. First, someone just thought it was just the style. Like maybe it's they all sound and they have this repetition and this step up like certain words and phrases. But that happens in a lot of the Psalms and it doesn't happen in all of these. So that's ascending, stepping might not quite be true. More than just the parallelism I talked about there, we're talking about something specific. Also, another theory, number two, was that there are, when you go into, since I have it here, when you go into the Jerusalem temple, a time of Herod, when you go into the greater courtyard and then you come to the holy place, the building proper, where inside is the holy of holies, but also the holy place of the building. There are these doors, and then there are these 15 steps. So on some of the pictures, you can see people have done remodels, or if they're doing a, a movie or something, they've put 15 kind of curved steps. And so the idea is because there are 15 psalms, songs that you sing one on each step that you go up. So you would do 120 and sing that psalm, 121, as you take the 15 steps. So it's the song of ascents as you're ascending into the temple. That is a really cool idea. I you can still do that today. There's a section where people are like, this was it. And the stones, the limestone is all worn down. And a, a number of people still go today and kind of praise those psalms on their knees even and go up to these stairs. That that could very well be true. These were written long before the Herod's temple. And we don't know that was necessarily how Solomon's temple was built. So could be. I like that idea. The third is that it is a way for the pilgrims as they would come to the feasts. Remember, 
at the time of Josiah, then they centralized worship and said, it's only in Jerusalem. And so they'd been worshiping different places and we have different temples and different altars and different places, but they centralized it. And so in Jerusalem, you would have to come. Men and women were invited. Men were required to three times a year to come for those events. So they would come to, um, say, the tabernacles or Passover, or they would come as a pilgrim. So you'd have to journey. And so you have to come there. And so part of that is you, the pilgrims would journey on the roads together, maybe in groups and caravans. They would sing these songs because Jerusalem is on a small hill. And the idea is you're always coming up. So it's a song of ascent. So that could be a I think that's also pretty cool. I have a theory as well. We know that as we enter into the temple, it's how we have an opportunity to learn about how we're going to return to the Lord's presence. So through the Savior, we're coming back into the Lord's presence, and really it's an Eden, a little microcosmos. So I wonder if these aren't the songs that are sung in the temple as part of the temple worship as we're being exalted, as we're understanding the role of the Savior, as we're returning step by step. I wonder if these aren't holy songs. I don't know. So that is what these next 120 through 134 are these, these Psalm of Ascents. So again, 120 through 134, going to bring up our offerings. We're going to ascend together. I cried unto thee, thy, the Lord, I cried, start over. In my distress, I cried unto the Lord and he heard me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given unto thee, or what shall be done unto thee, thou false tongue? Sharp arrows of the mighty with coals of juniper. Woe to me that I sojourn in Mesech, that I dwell in the tents of Kedar. My soul hath long dwelt with him that hateth peace. I am for peace, but when I, when, but when I speak, they are for war. So, you feel this idea, the stress, this tension that exists in us. And so you're like, we're going to start with that. Hey, we're coming to change and change who we are. Pretty cool. 121, Psalm 121 is one of the most powerful. And I actually was going to read it in Hebrew if that's not super nerdy. I'll just read a couple of verses in English and then read it in Hebrew and see if you can feel the cadence there. In 121 verses 1 and 2, I will lift up mine eyes into the hill from whence cometh my help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. So here I have a written in Hebrew. Um, Esa enai kacharim ma'arim yavo ezri ezri megim Adonai ose mashamayim va'aretz. Pretty cool, right? Okay, that was super nerdy. But I feel the cry and the passion for, I will lift up my eyes to the heavens. I will look up to the hills, coming up to the temple, and the Lord will hear me there. This is a beautiful hymn. If you haven't read 121, it's one of the greatest hymns that we have and Psalms. So if you haven't read 121, this this is the highlight. This is one you should be like, I know 121, this is awesome. Yeah, you'll probably love it too. So share in the comments if you have one of these in either the Hallel or the Song of Ascents that you find. So somewhere in these last groupings that if you say, I really like this one and why, tell me which one you like. There's one more that wasn't in the reading that I wanted to share because it is awesome. And that is 136. 136 is a little bit longer, but I wanted to show the feeling and how these probably went. So a lot of times we think of the Psalms and hymns sometimes being quiet, <laughs> quiet and careful in our indoor voices. But 136 is the opposite. 
And it's going to do an interesting thing. It's going to repeat the second half of the line over and over. So that repetition we were talking about, but it's this phrase and you can almost feel like it's going to clap, go together. So we try a little bit of it. I love this one. I love this one. If you've never done this, you are in for a treat. And here it was all along, Psalm 136. So Psalm 136, listen to this cadence and this beat. It's going to be like a group. And we're praising God. And this is just awesome. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for his mercy endureth forever. Can you feel it? To him who alone doth great wonders, his mercy mercy endureth forever. To him that by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endureth forever. For him that stretches out the earth above the waters, for his mercy, mercy endureth forever. I have a lisp, I guess. I can't say all that. I love his mercy, his steadfast love. That word mercy here in King James is steadfast love. It's covenant love. The word that said is because of the covenant, the Lord will remember you for his love endureth forever. His mercy, his covenant love will endure forever, as has said. It's so cool. So his mercy endureth forever. So we get this idea of building and building. And then you go to 137 and the tone changes. By the rivers of Babylon, where we sat down, yea, we wept. Then we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. For they that carried us away captive required of us a song. And they that wasted us required us in birth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy, remember, O Lord, the children. So it takes this idea of victory, and then you see it change tone so quickly. Remember, this is the scattering of Israel. But one day we were bringing this all back together. Okay. All right, scholars and saints, I think we've done it. I think we have effectively gone through the part three of the psalm. So we've learned about some of the structure and the ideas, but we've also learned how it helps bring in the spirit and change us here. We've learned about a 102 and 103 and some of the parallels and the techniques there, but we've also done the hello and the song of ascents. Please leave a comment down below and tell me which of the songs in these verses that you find may be something you've learned or something that you need to share with me that this is really speaks to you. All right, everybody. Thanks again. See you next time.